0: Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast, your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now, i will introducing your host, Gareth Beckett.
1: Howdy mountain bikers, thanks for being here and welcome to episode number 74 of the MTB Tribe Podcast. I'm here to help you find out more about mountain biking, how to get out on the trails, keep you stoked and hopefully learn a little more about mountain biking and the people involved, helping you get off that sofa and onto the saddle. That's why we are here. So thanks for tuning in this week. Thanks so much. If you are a first time listener, Thanks for joining us, and I hope you enjoy the episode. You can find out more information about the podcast. Just simply go to mtb-tribe.com. You'll get all the episodes there, a wee bit more info. You can subscribe there, and you can get access to all the past episodes. You can listen to them via the website, or you can simply download them onto whatever device you use and go from there. So thanks for joining us, and for all the guys that have supported us over the weeks, we're now... Over 70 episodes. Thanks so much for letting me be in your earballs again. I really do appreciate it, guys. And thanks for all your support and your messages and for subscribing and leaving reviews on iTunes and subscribing on iTunes and Stitcher and Podbean and wherever you listen to the show. So thanks so much for that. Now on to today's show. And today we're talking to Lauren Jenkins and Lauren is an MTB freelance Journalist. Now, Lauren has been a journalist for a number of years, but she has always had an interest in writing from an early age. So, when friends would be at a party or something, Lauren would excuse herself, go home, and write a blog. I certainly can think of more exciting things to do, but that is how passionate. Lauren is about writing, and and Lauren found a passion for mountain biking in 2012, and she quickly combined the both, and has turned that into a career. She quickly got involved in the industry, and even though she was still at university at the time, finishing her journalism degree, she found herself spending more time, really... In the offices of the Dirt Magazine crew. So we chat to her about the early days. Trying to get her foot in the door. What kind of articles and jobs she was doing at that time. How she got involved with Pink Bike, And the great people she has had the pleasure to work with over the years. And why she's so passionate about mountain biking. Because at the end of the day she loves writing. She loves journalism. But she also loves mountain biking. And she fell in love with mountain biking. Albeit from a downhill bike. Can you believe that? Can you believe your first mountain bike being a downhill bike and your first trail experience on a downhill track? Well, that's what Lauren went through. And um, it's a great chat. And I love stories like this. Uh, Lauren is such a such a cool person. Uh, we chat to her about a lot that's going on in the industry as well, about lady-specific bags, gear, clothing, how the industry is changing, and a very, very cool interview she done with eight different ladies when she was in uh, San Maritz about the mountain bike industry and the girls that she interviewed all kind of worked in the industry or, or play in the industry or whatever, but they're involved in the industry in one way or another. And it's very, very cool interview. All her details are on the show notes. You can go and check that out and stuff. But damn, um, it's really good to see ladies getting more involved in the mountain bike industry and why the mountain bike industry needs that. So we chat to Lauren about all those good things and much, much more. So I will get Lauren on the show. So let's welcome Lauren to the MTB Tribe podcast. Hi, Lauren. Welcome to the MTB Tribe podcast. How's things in cold and drizzly the UK? (laughs) Uh,
0: Yeah, well, actually, today is a nice crisp winter's day. It's sunny and really frosty, so it's, it's quite nice.
1: Ah, well... I'm sitting in Malta and it's raining and windy and miserable. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: well, well, for once, it's sunny in Wales, so I can't really complain too
1: much. <laughs> cool, cool. Now, Lauren, we'll chat to you. Um, it's great to get you on the show. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, I think you're the first. Well, you are the first journalist, freelance journalist, we've had on the show, so it's a bit of a, a bit of a coup for myself. And I really don't know what I'm going to ask you that much, but we'll get through it.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, I'm sure we'll find
1: something. to do <laughs> uh, So, Lauren, where are you from? There, where are you? In, are you from Wales? Is that where you're based?
0: Yeah, I'm from Wales. I um, born and bred in Pembrokeshire which some people would contest that it's not the original Shire, but, you know, I like to call it the Shire. (laughs) (laughs) Then I moved to Cardiff to go to uni, and uh, me and my partner about two years ago now bought a house in the beautiful Port Talbot. (laughs) I say that sarcastically. It's really nice, actually. It's not too bad. It's hideous <laughs> when you drive past it on the M4 and you look at the steelworks. But when you're in Port Talbot, there's actually a really nice beach and we're really close to Avon and all the trails. So um,
1: cool.
0: it's a good spot.
1: Yeah. Do you get surf there? Does that Does that area get surf? Yeah, there is surfing
0: down on the beach. Weirdly enough, considering I grew up in Pembroke with some amazing coastline, I have never, ever been surfing. And mm. that's it's awful (laughs) i should be very disappointed in myself
1: yeah you should get started
0: and down in the gower and stuff which isn't that far away and there's a couple of good surf spots
1: Yeah, yeah cool sounds awesome it's lovely to be near a beach you know i i personally think i have to be near a beach or in the mountains one of the two
0: i'm kind of in between the both which is amazing it takes us about 10 minutes to walk to the beach and i'd say about a 15 minute drive to get the get to the trails up in Avon. So we're sort of smack bang in in between two of my favourite things. So. Oh,
1: wow. And was that move, was that house purchase, was the location important for the mountain biking and the coast and all that? Was that considered?
0: Yeah. Um, it was definitely considered. And my partner, he doesn't actually drive. So he commutes to work down to Swansea and back every day, which is about a 20-mile ride for him. So we're right on the cycle route four, which goes all the way from London right down to Pembrokeshire. So he hops on that and rides on some of the roads and rides to work. So that was another thing that we considered, but um, given that it's Port Talbot, the house prices were a lot more affordable as well. So mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it's a space for the bikes.
1: <laughs> yeah, <it's> crazy. <laughs> you know, it really is crazy when you're chatting to mountain bikers or surfers, I suppose, and you talk about buying houses because it's all around either the biking side of things or the surfing or whatever you're interested in, it's pretty nuts, really.
0: Yeah, so we were like, right, we need this, this and this, and need to make sure this space for this. So we actually have what used to be an old cobbler shop at one time on the side of our house. So it's quite a sizable space. Uh, and we've got a garage, so we've got lots of options for storage, which is amazing. <laughs>
1: so that'll be the bike workshop that's how that'll work out
0: (laughs) yeah my my boyfriend is actually a bike mechanic so uh, (laughs) it's very handy it's got lots of space to work on bikes and other people's bikes I seem to come home and there's bikes everywhere and I'm like whose bike is this now and he's like oh just a friend so I'm just going
1: (laughs) (laughs) classic now uh were you involved in the world of journalism before you get into mountain biking
0: Um, It kind of happened about the same time. I've always wanted to be a journalist. I did you know the usual I did media in college and about that time I did work experience in my local paper and that sort of thing but in 2012 I went to uni to study journalism and about the same time I got into bikes and I never really intended for it to happen but I just started writing about bikes and then I started my own blog and that's how it all kind of went from there really
1: mm. and do you think did the the mountain biking thing give you a passion for writing or had you always a passion from a young age for writing
0: yeah writing is something that I've always absolutely loved it's the only thing that I feel like I'm actually any good at so that's always been what I wanted to do originally it was sort of going into newspapers but it was biking and then falling in love with biking that gave me that outlet and it just sort of went from there and
1: exploded (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah and were you into that from a young age were you always into writing from a young age
0: yeah I was in um well it's definitely from my teens I've always really enjoyed writing when I worked in Cardiff I worked in a bar and everyone sort of in the bar industry always goes out and drinks a lot not everyone obviously I didn't I always used to go home have a cup of tea and write blogs until three o'clock in the morning so (laughs) (laughs) very exciting Um, so yeah I've always loved it and then I decided to go back to uni and um, sort of I, I knew I needed to get experience and it was really hard to get experience while working in the bar so I thought right if I go back to uni then I'll have the time to. I obviously be gaining my degree in journalism, but I'll have the time to focus on gaining the experience that I really needed. So that was sort of the the decision to go back to study.
1: Mm-hmm. And is, I take it the media course was very different from the journalism course.
0: Yeah, it was. Um, so we d- we did it quite a good range in the media course. We did radio, video, obviously at college level, it's kind of, I think I made like a little documentary and all sorts, but it was actually quite a good well-rounded course, but the journalism was focused and I felt a lot of the time focused too much so on newspapers and sort of older media. But then back in 2012, I know we were sort of on the cusp of, of the change, but there was a lot of online media, but that was before you know, newspapers started closing and magazines Mm -hmm. dying. (laughs) So um, it was right
1: before that. Yeah. Yeah. So is this your full time job now, journalism?
0: Um, Yeah. So I graduated in 2014. And from then I went freelance and I've been freelance. The entire time, apart from a small, I worked for Black Mountain Bikes from January last year till about August mm-hmm. uh, that was really good but then I, I went back to freelancing just purely because in Port Albert and commuting between there and I was going to Raglan which was 120 miles a day oh. so you know 600 miles a week but I just couldn't after six months I was so burnt out and and it is offset. So but I still do work with them on a freelance basis. So it's really cool that I got to continue that relationship and continue doing what I really enjoy. So it's uh, yeah, yeah, was really good.
1: Yeah, cool. And we'll we'll touch on that a wee bit later because I want to chat to you about that and how that all kind of works. Um so you've been mountain biking since 2012. So tell us a wee bit about how you, you get into the mountain biking scene then.
0: Um like a lot of ladies it seems <laughs> i got into it from my partner as i mentioned he's a bike mechanic he wasn't at that time but he's always been absolutely bike mad and he sort of used to go out with his friend and uh i was kind of curious about it and i was like well let me have a go <laughs> um <laughs> I started getting into it i had this um identity Dr Jekyll it was a p- the pink frame and I had absolutely everything pink on it. it had pink tires pink grips it was the pinkest thing in the world and we you just sort of used to ride that out and about never really did any technical mountain biking but then unfortunately that was stolen and my boyfriend's bikes were stolen the silver lining to that was I, I got my first downhill bike which was a norco shore i knew nothing really about bikes at that time but it was red and it was amazing and i really wanted it so we took it we went to um kum khan in south wales and we went to the downhill track and i looked at him i looked at the people riding i cried and said i've changed my mind and i don't want to do this (laughs) um and then we just went there pretty much every weekend every spare moment that I could we'd be there I just used to play around on the bottom of the track and do silly little things like walk around tiny drops I always used to make sure I went last or there was no one on the track and I wasn't getting in the way but eventually one day we went up and did the full uplift so I did the whole track and um from there I was kind of hooked and that's kind of where I learned (laughs) the craft of downhill so that wow
1: so that's crazy so you started really on a on a downhill track
0: yeah that was i didn't do anything before before i got into downhill i pretty much despised bikes i hated cycling couldn't understand why anyone would enjoy it at all and then my whole life got completely changed and me and my boyfriend and all of our friends are completely bike mad so from you know one extreme to the other really
1: Mm-hmm. and so so your first bike your first real bike purchase wasn't even an enduro or a trail bike it was a downhill bike the downhill bike
0: i went straight into downhill <laughs> you know it's only now a couple of years down the line that i have an enduro bike and we ride more trail stuff but I, I ride most of the downhill stuff i used to ride on my downhill bike then on my trail bike now so it's a
1: <laughs> yeah well so the, you really did jump in at the deep end there and
0: yeah. oh. <laughs> <laughs> which is why I cried initially. I was like, Nope, I'm not doing this.
1: Yeah. You know, you hear, you hear stories like that quite a lot, nightmare stories. I have a friend who um, married an American girl and um, Deborah's has got like eight brothers and they're all gung ho. They're all mad American guys. And they took Louis first time snowboarding. they took Louis to the top of a double diamond black, and just said to him, We'll see you at the bottom.
0: <laughs> oh my word. Yeah, I got a little bit when I started and everyone's like, just you know, just go fast. <laughs> and I was like, mm, I'm not so sure about this.
1: Wow, that's crazy. So what what kind of encouragement was your boyfriend giving you at that time? You know, was he was he encourage, was he encouraging you? Was he Saying now, just take it easy, just go at your own pace, or was he saying, yeah, just just bomb it, just let's go, you know? Was it?
0: (laughs) Just, just you know, everyone used to say speed is your friend. (laughs) So I sort of used to be clattering down, and I had so many bruises when I started to ride. I'd fall off all the time, but I I just absolutely loved it, and it was it was really good fun. So yeah, he was really encouraging as well, and he always used to say, I'm really proud of you, which used to make me feel really good. So um. It was it was uh, definitely learning the hard way sometimes, but I guess sometimes you just have to do it that way, and it did work out. So,
1: yeah, wow. Now, did you have any friends of your own that came along mountain biking with you, or did any of your friends were any of your friends interested in mountain biking or anything?
0: Um, at that time, it was just me and my boyfriend and his friend that rode, but we just sort of used to meet people out on the trails, and then we got in with a little local mountain biking club and they sort of took us under their wing and we went riding with them and gradually got better as they took us to different tracks and stuff, you know, so that was really good. It was nice to you always feel part of a um, community, which is something that I love about the sport.
1: Mm -hmm, Yeah,
0: It's good to, well, learn from someone who has a better idea of what they're doing instead of you being there or the gear, no idea, which I definitely was.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, that's the beautiful thing about mountain biking. It is such a community around it. And I suppose that's really good for your journalism side of things as well.
0: Yeah, it was. It was amazing. You know, I met so many different people. And then as I started writing about it, I met more people. And um, at the start, we used to do a lot more racing then I, I don't do any now because it just stresses me out. I'm even the smallest little races. I'm as if I'm doing a world championship or something. (laughs) So (laughs) yeah, we, we sort of used to race. And, um, at one time I was actually on a downhill team, (laughs) which is, it's funny now that I look back, but it was amazing (laughs) at the time. And I was sort of, well, it was team skiing. There were a shop in Cardiff and the guys were amazing. We lived in Cardiff. We used to pretty much live in there as our second home. And, they, they said, you know, that's where I got my first bike and I used to go there all the time and they asked me if I wanted to be on the team. So I was over the moon and for a while I was on a downhill team. So there was my claim to fame. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant.
1: Very, very good. And what what do you think made you stick with the mountain bike and what do you love so much about it?
0: Um, I think for me as we touched on the sense of community I love it I've made so many friends I've traveled you know places I never would have gone and I think what I really love in a community is you know I'm friends with 50 year old guys 18 year old girls people from all walks of life from doctors to uh, you know it's it's just mad the amount of people that you meet and just because you've got that thing in common you it, there's instantly sort of no barrier and you get talking to people and it, well like yourself with the podcast you know it's it's the stories behind the people involved in the sport that it, it's just one of those things that keeps me hooked and of course the riding side I, I absolutely love it and I will still admit that I prefer going down rather than uphill
1: so <laughs> especially on your downhill bike <laughs> uh,
0: yeah we took our downhill bikes on a we went to quite brennan and did the beast on downhill bikes and i wanted to give up at that point i was like this is insane why are we doing this
1: <laughs> yeah it's brilliant it's brilliant but it's so true what you say about you know you you meet you meet kids on the trail you meet retired dentists and doctors and uh, it's just cool. It's just such an edge doesn't really matter. No, it really doesn't. It really doesn't. Yeah, it's cool. It's really cool. So tell us a wee bit about your gear at the minute. What are you riding now? What's your what's your enduro bike then?
0: I have a Live hail two, and I have some very futuristic, amazing spangle carbon wheels at the moment, which I'm testing out. Wow. I'm quite yeah there. Every time I go out, everyone's like, what are they? (laughs) I'm like, don't mind me. I'm from the future. Um, (laughs) That's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm I'm impressed. I'm going to be reviewing them in the next couple
1: of weeks. Yeah, cool. Um, The the Spangles, that's the three-spoked one, isn't
0: it? Yeah, the three-spoked future wheels.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they look look so rad because they remind me back in the day when I had an old BMX or something similar.
0: Yeah, a lot of people have said that. Actually, a couple of the older, the younger people are sort of looking at them, trying to figure out. And they're like, mm, "Yeah, I don't really know about those." And the older people are like, "They remind me of BMX wheels."
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and how are you getting on? What's your first initial impressions? Or are you allowed to say uh, anything at the minute?
0: Yeah, I'm allowed. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. Climbing, I definitely notice a difference. They're not that light, but that's not a bad thing in my opinion I don't want really really lightweight wheels they're very stiff which is um I definitely noticed that I feel everything a lot more on the trails so um definitely responsive so I'm considering well not so much I consider my line a, a little bit more but I am they definitely roll a lot faster as well so that's been quite fun on the downs <laughs> mm. but I do need a bit more testing I've unfortunately not been able to ride much in the last. Two months because I was home for a while because my mum had uh, two partial knee replacements, so oh, couldn't really get anywhere. So I was home being nurse. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to getting more time on them, which yeah, is very much needed at the moment.
1: Yeah, well, family comes first, and and then biking afterwards. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So. Um, Cool. So what's your favorite piece of gear that you couldn't do without? What do you really, really like that you own? It could be a helmet, could be gloves, could be anything.
0: Um I think I've got two pieces that I quite like. My seal skin's winter gloves, which are amazing because I hate having cold hands. My hands are cold all the time. So if you go out on a ride and your hands get even colder, that's murder. And I've got this um it's actually a road as well what they called the, the little hat things that you put on under your helmet you've got that one. Right. I've got one because I hate having cold years as well so especially at this time of year definitely my winter essentials but in the summer um I don't know I've got this pink pop lid that I had as a present a couple of years ago that I absolutely love as well yeah <laughs> I look like a Power Ranger most of the time when I ride. I'm like a bright, like a <sighs> rainbow on wheels. <laughs>
1: <laughs> cool. Yeah, I think I think your winter gear is so important because otherwise you might just not even go out if you're going to be too cold, you know?
0: Yeah, it definitely. I, I hate being cold. So it's very good to have some good kit to stay
1: warm. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So let's chat a wee bit about the journalism side of things then. Um so when you got into it, you you quickly started your work with the likes of Pink Bike and Dirt Magazine and Wide Open Magazine and stuff like that. Um so how did this all come about? Did you approach them? How did it work?
0: Um so I started my blog in uni. Uh and there was a sort of emphasis on building your personal brand. So for me, is mountain biking so initially I started writing my own posts you know little reviews of kit um and just bits and bobs but then I worked with wide open and I started the wide open women's Wednesday series in conjunction with them so i every week I'd interview a woman in mountain biking then I'd do like a roundup of news and results and that kind of thing so just give more focus because about that time in sort of I think it was well 2013 possibly about wide o- with wide open um mm. there wasn't really a lot of press about women not to the extent there is now which is obviously amazing how much it's changed in the last couple of years but there weren't many bloggers there weren't many women working within the mountain biking media either so um I really wanted to do that and I actually approached Dirt, so I emailed and I got a response from Mike and I was like mm, do you do work experience and he was like "Mm, not really (laughs) (laughs) uh, and I continued to pester him a little bit and he said you know for your persistence we'll sort of give it a go so I I went and I did a week of work experience with them which was absolutely amazing that was a time where you know the office was full Steve Jones, Ed was there, James McKnight, everyone the T-boys it was a full house so I did that and then I think a month or so after Mike rang me and said Ed's going to be really busy with the dirt with 100, so would you mind coming into the office and you know give us a giving us a hand? So I jumped at the opportunity, and that was in my last year of uni. Uh, so I didn't really spend a lot of time doing work, and I spent a lot more time in the dirt office. So <laughs> that went from there, and I started uh, working with them. I, I think it was about a year in total. That I worked in and out of the office. And then in 2014, when I graduated, I started working for Pinkbike. So, yeah, was wow. yeah, quite jam-packed. I've definitely got a, um, a good number of titles, and I'm really privileged to be able to have worked with the people that I've worked with in the past couple of years. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's been a good journey so far.
1: Yeah, amazing. So the wide-open thing that you've done, um, the, the, late, the Wednesday thing, was, did you push that towards them was that your idea or did they come to you and say could you do this for us
0: um it was my idea so I went to them and I was like you know I really want to do more stuff with women's mountain biking that was kind of it's always been my focus not so much now but definitely at the time um it was to push the sport and give women more of a a platform basically so we kind of worked with them and then we came up with the name and uh, and then kind of worked from there so that was that was really good that they were on board and they wanted to do that at that time because you know as i said not many people did a lot <laughs>
1: so. mm. yeah and that that kind of thing do they i take it they don't employ you as an employee it's more like an outsourced thing so they just outsource you to do that article
0: yeah so i was freelance um I did that. Actually, I never got paid for that. Not not that minded. It wasn't about that at that time. It was about building my profile and getting experience. And, you know, as I said, I was in uni at the time. So it was it was the experience and it was just I was driven to really, you know, push women's mountain biking. And I'm still really grateful to them for giving me that platform.
1: Mm, yeah definitely yeah for sure. And then working with uh, Pink bag and stuff, so what was that experience like?
0: yeah it was, it was really cool. I worked with them for just under three years, I think so in that time I was on the news team, the editorial team um so a lot of the work and talking with them was actually via Skype. Uh, I didn't meet a lot of the team until. A couple of years later in Eurobike and one of the people I worked most closely with was a lady called Rochelle she's actually Australian but she lived in Canada for a while but then she was living in Connecticut she now works for GT Bikes um, and she was amazing I worked closely with her and a guy called Tyler um, so we'd be doing the sort of day-to-day things editing the news putting stuff up on the front page the social media and that kind of thing and working with brands companies and athletes to publish their stories and that sort of thing on the on the site so that's what I did for quite a long time
1: yeah that must be quite weird that you know you've worked with people <laughs> for a long time and then you don't meet them for 2 years like
0: uh, you it know was. how was
1: that experience it was
0: quite bizarre because of the time differences as well so when I'd be finishing work or a little bit before because of the time zones and with Rochelle, she'd come on, we'd have about an hour or so working together, talking to each other over Skype and then Tyler would come on in Canada and then I'd sort of go offline, this would be about six o'clock in the evening and kind of went from that but uh, Rochelle and I developed quite a strong relationship and after she left I think like she was actually in Wales and she came to visit and stay with me so that was really amazing
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> right it was quite weird, obviously because someone that I've worked with very closely but worked with on on the internet <laughs> so it was it was really nice there that we'd been able to um you know get time to see each other and she actually came over to visit which was really nice
1: yeah like that's you know, and I suppose it's like that for quite a lot of people now. A lot of people work from home or work via some kind of web-based platform and they probably never really meet their work colleagues face-to-face that often. <laughs> you know, I've <Yeah>. never really <laughs> thought of that before.
0: Yeah, even when I worked with UK people, you know, I worked with um, Ollie, who w- worked for UK, and Alex, who worked for UK. Obviously, they didn't at the time. They were in Pink Pinkbike, but... Um, I saw Ollie I think once which was at uh, Crankworks in Leger and Alex I never actually met so <laughs> and these, these are people that are in the UK so
1: yeah it's crazy it really really is um, but that's the way that's the way of the world that's the way it's going
0: yeah it definitely is you know even different times zones, you could make it work and things do work so I think bike is a very well oiled machine with A lot going on behind the scenes and a lot of staff. So,
1: Mm. yeah. Now, for the world of journalism, do you have to go out to uh, destinations quite a lot? Do you have to go to races? Do you have to do that kind of thing? Or can you all do it from the comfort of your own home? How does it normally work? Uh,
0: So, for me, a lot of the times, especially at Pink Bike, it was done at home. I did a couple of events and a couple of press camps. but a lot of the time, you know, we have people on the ground. So the photographers and they get back. And my role at that time was to, you know, look at the piece, check it over for spelling, check everything looked right, and then put it up on the site. So for me and my own experiences, um, there have been times where I've gone out to events and things, but I've done pretty much. 95 percent of my work from the comfort of my sofa so <laughs> 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 which is a good and a bad thing um you know it's it's amazing when you do get the opportunity to go out um crank in leger one year was an absolute killer I think I did about a 90 hour week wow. the, the amount of work that goes into you know just making that happen from the photographers to the videographers they'd be up till two three plus a.m in the morning and just cranking it out having to get up then at nine o'clock to get back up the hill to check out the events or just do it all over again it's just a really intense week so um yeah that was that was an experience but it was amazing to be able to actually be in the same space as people rather than trying to talk to them over mm-hmm. the internet you know that's what you do miss out sometimes you can't bounce ideas off each other when you're on uh, on skype and that sort of thing so you do miss out on that human element and that team working but yeah and uh, i've you know i've had the opportunity to do press camps which is always an experience and the santa cruz one was out of this world
1: it was absolutely wild <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah you know it's 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 such a strange environment really and the journalism thing, so do you, would you get paid for an article or do you get paid for, say, working that 90-hour week?
0: Uh, for Bike, I used to get paid hourly because I was sort of not so much on a retainer, but I would invoice at the end of every month. But whereas a lot of the time now I get paid per article, so I'd approach... Um, you know, a magazine or something and say, I've got this idea, do that and then invoice them after I've done that sort of thing. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that's how that kind of works.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And and you can do a lot of stuff. So you do like copywriting, proofreading, blog posts, uh, feature writing, you do a lot of different, different things. So what do you normally find yourself doing the most? What's, what's required the most?
0: Uh, I'd say... Blog posts and I do quite a lot of um, proofreading. So I have done some work with a couple of brands where they'll let me access their site and I'll check over each blog post, make sure it's okay. You know, maybe I'll put the photos in and then I can give them a go ahead to post it. Um, I've recently been working on the World Stage book the enduro book that's coming out in the next couple of weeks and helping them proof all of that and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I do a lot of proofing, which I quite enjoy, actually.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and a lot of juggling, I would think, too, one thing and another.
0: Yeah, it definitely is quite... Sometimes you... Obviously, I need need work because I need to pay bills, but um, sometimes I get a, a little bit worried about approaching too many people because you don't want too many people to say yes to then overstretch yourself Mm -hmm. whereas you know sometimes especially in January January is a quiet month you know we're in the off season there are team announcements and that sort of thing but it is a quiet time of year so uh this time of year I've been thinking and I was home obviously looking after my mum so it's been even quieter but yeah sometimes you know I could be doing proofing and then something else and then a feature writing so it's a uh, yeah it's definitely varied and it can be as busy or quiet as, as you like I suppose but we are still quite a small industry so it's um and there's a lot of people working within the industry and I'd, I'd say the competition is is getting bigger which isn't a bad thing but yeah it can be uh, tough sometimes to find find work
1: yeah i'm sure and you know the industry's like a chat um to Jasper de Seymour who's a a photographer and a filmographer from tasmania um he's coming on the show um he'll probably be on the show by the time your episode actually comes out um but he's such a talented talented guy um I, I love his stuff i think his stuff's amazing um but you know we were chatting i was chatting to him about how everything in the mountain bike industry and a lot of industries now is all driven by visuals you know film photo video all this kind of things so do you think the blog side of thing isn't as important anymore or does it all kind of run together and balance i think it's a
0: Definite balance, but the people who are multi-skilled and can do—I think a lot of the times you'll find people that are quite good at a lot of things. So they're a great photographer. They can do video, but sometimes they aren't. And I'm not just saying this because, <laughs> because I need—I need the work. Um, sometimes you know. There's a difference between being a good writer and a great writer. So there's always going to be a place for people who can write well, but if you can do everything, then you are, you know, sitting on a gold mine. It is really important to try to have a lot of um, different skills. Mm. Definitely.
1: Yeah. So you think if, so you think if you could film, if you could photograph and write well, um, also that you would be, the, the kind of the publications would be looking for you more often because you're a one-man show really or, or a you know a one shop stop kind of thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, no definitely. I, I do think that and it, it's something that I'm considering and I need to you know I do take photos that I'm not gonna say I'm a photographer I'm nothing close to <laughs> but I can take a photo but there's again, you know, there's a difference between taking a good photo to being a photographer and really knowing your stuff and spending a fortune on equipment. So, yeah, it's definitely important to always consider your skills and where you might better yourself.
1: Mm, yeah, no, I think it's good. I think it's good to challenge yourself as well and keep your, getting yourself better and better every day. You know, that kind of way. So, yeah. Um, um, and, and for your, I suppose, if somebody like Bike said, to you Lauren okay we we want a story about this can you go out and film it as well or can you go out and shoot it if you could do that that would be so awesome for them it would be so easy for them then
0: yeah definitely and it is and you know they do work with a number of people that can do lots of different things you know a lot of the the guys that do the photo race reports can write really well so they can you know they just need to send a photographer to a race and no one else and that gets the job done so it's, um, yeah, it is really, really good to have people who can do a lot of things, especially for, you know, during that time when we'd be responsible for putting it up. You wouldn't have to then be like, right now I need to write a report based on what I've seen, which is difficult when you're not there. You know, you, d- you get a different experience when you're mm. on the ground, and you're actually watching a World Cup or something like that.
1: Yeah, so, certainly that would be very difficult, I think.
0: yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's just, you just miss things, some mm. important things and you're just not there. So it's it's great to have, you know, because they're trackside, the photographers, and they see everything and they're in the pits so they can really tell the story and do it justice, which is hard to do when you're at home behind a computer screen.
1: <laughs> mm. Yeah, def- definitely. Um, so for anybody wanting to get into journalism, Lauren, do you think it's important to maybe follow your passions and and write about blog about what you're really interested in. Uh,
0: Yeah, definitely. If you, if you write about something that you love and you're really interested in, it shows and it's easy. I'm not going to say it's always easy because you know, there are days that it's really hard to sometimes just switch it on. You can sit down, know that you've got a feature to write, but the words, just don't come, and that's one of the most frustrating things I think about being a writer. I sometimes drive myself mad. I'm like, right, I need to just get away. You know, I'll go go for a ride or something like that, I'm trying to get out of my own head to be able to come back to actually write something. But it's really important to, you know, it is hard. It is hard to follow what you, you know, make what you love your job. But mm. if you could do that, then, you know, I consider myself very lucky because I love writing and. It's the only thing I've ever wanted to do and felt that I'm good at. But, like I said, you know, it is really important to, if you're a good writer, to be able to have other skills as well, so you can market yourself to people as being able to do everything, <laughs> which
1: is very handy. Yeah, certainly I can understand that. Um, now let's chat a wee bit about women and in, in mountain biking, if you don't mind. No. Yeah, okay. And. I read through an interview you did on your website um, in St. Moritz. Uh, you were you interviewed eight ladies that work in the, the mountain bike industry. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us a wee bit about that interview and kind of what the general consensus was from that? Um. So for that, that was a
0: really cool trip that I got invited to. It was about bringing lots of women from mountain biking together from all over the world. So it was like a, a summit. We all went there and there was lots of different, um, people from different parts of mountain biking. So guides, uh, myself as a journalist, my friend, Sam as a photographer. Um, so it was about sharing the experience and seeing how things work in different places. So my idea was to, see how things have changed over the years from when, because, you know, a lot of the women had been riding for 10 plus years, some of them. So, um, it was, it was just really cool to be able to see how things had changed, perceptions had changed and, you know, there were more events equal pay and that kind of thing. It was just really about finding out what it was like for them, where they were, because, you know, things can be very different from one area to the next. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, as we talked about, like Europe are, are quite good with pushing, you know, women and talent. But like we said earlier, with the um, Australian rider, so yeah, it was it was good actually. A lot of them ha- did say that things have changed. They've noticed a change, and if it had been like that when they started, you know, maybe there'd be more women riding and that sort of thing. So that was one of my favourite pieces I've done actually, and it was great to be able to get so many. um Opinions and so so many varied opinions in one piece. So that was it was a really good experience.
1: Yeah, it was a great interview, and um, I think it's, it's very interesting. So, for you personally, have you seen even around your local area? Have you seen much change for ladies in mountain biking since you started?
0: Definitely the number. Um, even from you know going to Mozyne a couple of years ago to going last year, the amount of Women, families, you know, guys with their wives, uh, girl, like women with their children. It's just amazing to see how it's become more inclusive. And I go to the trails, you know, you go, you go to trail trial centre shops and there's more ladies coaching days, ladies kit in the shop. So, it, you know, it wasn't not like that, but to, a couple of years ago to how it is now there's just been a massive boom there's more women taking part you know there's loads of different women's events which is really cool it's just you know non-intimidating things because it, it can be quite intimidating mm-hmm. so women's events are you know still really vital I know sometimes people can get a bit you know you sometimes see stirrings online about it but everyone's just generally pretty pretty cool and yeah it's, it's good.
1: And why do you think it is getting more popular? Do you think, is it a media thing? Is the industry driving it? Where, where do you think the interest is coming from?
0: There's definitely, um, you know, when I started in 2012, there really weren't many women, but now you've got the likes, you know, of Jessica Strange, Valerie, Mee, you've got um, Eva who works for Bike Radar, Rach who works for a couple of different publications and there's just a lot more women within the industry themselves you know and working within brands so that really helps because if there's no women driving change within then there's not going to be change because guys don't really have the need to have women's products obviously because they're guys so <laughs> if there's thing there but now there are and people see it as more inclusive and you know, as more women get involved and they get their friends involved as guys would, you know, if they say come out and ride. So it's, I think it's just been a slow, it has been a slow change, but a, a great change to see more people coming involved. And there are a different, there are a number of factors, you know, especially the events and the coaching and stuff. So it's good. And, you know, initiatives, not so much mountain biking, but initiatives with British British Cycling's Breeze and that kind of thing, getting more women on bikes and i think if you cycle then sometimes you think well maybe I'll go mountain biking and go so it's kind of uh, yeah getting into it that way so it's it's good.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah and <clears throat> it's interesting because i remember reading a thing quite a while ago now about about ladies in mountain biking and the brands were saying that it really only was about thir- 12 or 13% of their turnover was from you know ladies in mountain biking so they couldn't really justify putting a lot of PR and bike development and everything else into it. Um, so do you think that the large companies and the brands need to encourage more ladies into the sport, even from a point of view of keeping their sales growing and their profits growing?
0: It's, it's quite difficult because a lot of the big brands, you know, do have initiatives and ride outs and that kind of thing, you know, Hope do the women's rides specialised have their ambassadors which are a massive part of getting Mm. women involved in it so the the brands are definitely sort of spearheading initiatives to get women into riding which is really good to see um but you know it is difficult because you can't you know if you if the numbers aren't there then they can't put that much money into into kit and that kind of things and one thing i think we all know that I might get crucified for saying, but women are really hard to please. So, you know, there's been a things over pink, you know, pink it and shrink it and certain colours of women's kit. But some people like that and some people hate it, you know, in the Michaela Gatto song when she talks about wanting something rad in black in a girl's fit and that kind of thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's nice to have the options, but, you know, people in the industry are limited uh, to being able to create these things, because you know you, it would nice be nice to have an entire range, but if people aren't buying it, then you're spending a lot of money to create something that people aren't going to buy. So it's um is a bit of a difficult situation. While we continue to grow and is growing and still growing, so I'm you know I'm very confident that in the next couple of years we'll continue to see a growth and more options, which is always good.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's well said, because it's hard to have the options when the demand isn't there. You know? Yeah, you know,
0: they're businesses at the end of
1: the day and they need to make money, so... so. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think you're right on what you say. You know, you can have different coloured kit, you know, more specific for ladies, but it's maybe not generally a lady's cot or a lady's fit um and i know that's i know katrina my fiance i know that's what she always complains about that the stuff isn't you know she still looks like a 15 year old boy
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah
1: it's really um, hard
0: at all because we're all different shapes and sizes which is another thing you know you can make some kit for i'm quite a tall woman so i'm five nine so i find a lot of the time that women's shorts tend to be really short and i hate the gap between shorts and knee pads so that was one <laughs> of my bias with women's kit it doesn't seem to ever really be long enough um
1: yeah yeah well i think a really interesting thing and uh i'm going to go back to the surf industry because that's my background so i know it quite well um and i'm sure people are fed up to hear me talking about surfing on a mountain bike podcast. But anyway.
0: Yeah, um, a lot of people that do ride, do surf as well. I've got a couple of friends that do both. so
1: Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Um But Roxy, um, the ladies branch of Quicksilver, um, they were very, very smart because when they started to introduce their kind of fitness range, so the their range for the gym and, and for running and stuff like that, they actually brought somebody over from now it could have been nike i'm not sure but they brought a lady designer from nike or or some of them big companies that do lots of this kind of gear to design a pacific range for their ladies and their fitness and everything else and i think the mountain bike industry needs to look at it more like that they need to bring somebody over with that design background rather than just making these shorts and black for guys and these shorts and a baby blue for girls or something like that. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I think Scott do quite a good job of that, actually. They've got a couple of different ranges. So run and a couple of different things like that. But it crosses over. So, you know, you can wear like a waffle jacket or whatever for running, for riding as a base layer and that kind of thing. But they've kind of I think they've cottoned onto that somewhat in having different ranges for different things, but that crossover, which is pretty cool. But no, I, I definitely do think, and even, well, I don't know how easy it would be to do, but just a, a more unisex kind of range. So in one sort of cut, you could have a jersey and shorts that that work for everyone in, in black or something. So it doesn't mm. necessarily matter if you're a, a guy or a girl, because I do know a lot of women Not so much now because there are more options, but in the past, a lot of women have said that they wear guys' kit over women's because it fits better, it's bigger. You know, sometimes they don't want really tight things. So, yeah, again, wear quite hard, quite hard to please.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could have a core range or something like that, I suppose, which spans both. That would be good. Yeah, Uh, we'll see see what happens. Uh, Yeah, so what do you think... Or, what do you see the future looking like for ladies in mountain biking? Do you think it's getting better?
0: Definitely. And um, the future, I think, will be more integrated. So, and it has started to shift that way. You know, there are companies now who have realized that women specific bikes and that sort of thing aren't perhaps the way to go. They're not necessarily, not that they're not needed. There is a place in some. Circumstances, but you know, I think we'll see it'll just be the norm, you know, rather than women's specific media sites like the likes of Total Women's that we had in the past, there'll be content on on and in MBUK not in Pink Bike with women, and it'll just be the norm to have that there and not have a you know, a women's mm-hmm. specific everything, it will just be just fully un- integrated and that will become. I hope that will become the norm, and, you know, because we're all just riding at the end of the day. We love riding. We're all doing the same thing. So it should be in the same place. But I do feel that there will always be a place for women specific events and that kind of thing. Because, you know, especially for newcomers and people that aren't that confident, they like to have a safe space, I suppose, to have, um, you know, and it's just nice. It's just a, a really fun and you can kind of have a laugh. Not that you can't have a laugh.
1: With the guys, but you know, Mm -hmm. know. yeah, no, it's interesting. I think it's very interesting what you say about the ladies' specific bikes, because I remember reading a thing from Specialized, and they stopped doing their ladies' specific bikes. I think for 2018, maybe, but the reason behind it was they said that only 10% of the revenue comes from the ladies' side of things. So. It, from a business perspective, they could only put ten percent of their R and D into a ladies' specific bike, which wasn't really fair. So they they decided to stop doing the ladies' specific bikes and just lump it all in together, so that the man side of thing and the ladies' side of things got the hundred percent of the research into new technology and geometry and stuff like that. So I think that's very interesting.
0: Yeah, it is, and. It's just about sizing and options at the end of the day, you know, it's just good to have a good range from extra small to extra yeah. large and being able to have customization options from things for bar length, stem length and that kind of thing, The things that you need to change like saddles on a bike. So I think we'll probably see that coming in within the next couple of years. But one thing that was really interesting for me on a um, press camp. So I went on the Santa Cruz one and obviously they had the Straga and then they had the Nomad which is they don't deny that it's the same bike but they said for them you can't necessarily market the same product to two different people so what women might find appealing in marketing won't necessarily appeal to men so that I found quite interesting and obviously I might seem like a hypocrite because I ride a live hell which is a women specific bike but there are different, you know, there are a number of factors into why I ride that bike. I like the brand. And for me, I like the colors. So um, mm-hmm. uh, it's, um, yeah, it's definitely not black and white. And there, there are a lot of different factors and it just, you know, it's not, it's not a simple thing, but it's, uh, people are still trying to figure out where it fits. So where mm-hmm. women specific fits and all of that kind of thing within the industry as, we continue to grow as a sector of mountain biking. So it's a, yeah, it's interesting to see it develop.
1: Yeah, it's certainly interesting for sure. And um, that's another take on it, actually. I I never really thought of that, that from a marketing perspective, it would be different. Um, But like you said, you know, it might be the fact of just having the same basic frame and then changing, you know, bar lengths and, and saddle and crank lengths or whatever, you need to do so yeah it's very interesting
0: yeah so i think we we might see that i don't know you never know with the industry might have a whole new standard or something but um you know that would be a good option because it's just things that people change anyway things you know you make a frame might fit you but everything else won't so if you could go to a website and click different options like i want 760 bars and like you said crank lengths and i want a 50 mil stem or whatever because that's what's going to fit me then uh yeah we'll see we'll see what happens
1: yeah yeah very interesting now just briefly i want to chat to you about your switzerland and your morzine trip and stuff like that mm-hmm. can you tell us a wee bit about that trip because it sounded very interesting
0: i've been very lucky to be able to do two summer seasons in morzine which is been amazing me and my partner went over there for summer one year we worked in a chalet he was the bike mechanic and I was working for pink bike so I was freelancing and then the second summer he worked for a holiday company as a mechanic and I again I was freelancing so I can work from wherever but we always try and do summer trips now where we tie in we'll usually go to more We we always say oh we'll go somewhere different but we just love more it's mm-hmm. um a really sort of important place for us where we what I did it's just got a really nice community feel as well when you go over there you see everyone that you know and all of that kind of thing and it's just good fun uh but Switzerland that was yeah like I said a women's trip I did that um and yeah just every year I try and ride a couple of different places in Europe and um I go in our converted ambulance called the Vambulance ambulance. <laughs> <And laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah it's been it's been really good um, it's one of my favorite parts about summer being able to go over but Morzine's great It's it really is good fun and it's good to see well there are lots of amazing places in Europe to ride not just Morzine but <laughs> that's kind of a yeah, mm-hmm. one of my favorites
1: yeah and I, I I was reading on your your blog about it and, and about the freedom machine the transit, the converted transit <laughs> <laughs> sorry
0: experiments um yeah we we sprayed it six days before we left for the season we did it outside and it was just it was one of our more interesting ideas we were like yeah we're fine we've never sprayed anything in our lives let's just spray our van and actually we were quite impressed with ourselves it looked pretty good <laughs> that we thought but we didn't you know put a finish on it so after a while it started looking like something out of mad max but we loved that van and I think it's still being driven round by one of our uh, my boyfriend's dad's friends. So, <laughs>
1: wow! Brilliant, brilliant. So tell us a wee bit about Switzerland. How was Switzerland for riding?
0: It was amazing. It, um, so they've got a couple. They, they're really pushing the mountain bike side things for them as well. You know, sometimes winters aren't as good as they used to be. They don't get a lot of snow. Mm. In certain areas of Switzerland, I was in St Moritz and that was arranged by the tourism board and a couple of different women, like I said, to get women from different areas of mountain biking over for summer. So we could learn things from each other. And um, we were guided by one of the guides, Laura, who works over there in the ski school and in the bike school. So she's a guide in the summer. But it's a lot of varied riding some pretty big days out which of course being from Wales I'm not really used to so I probably looked like I've never ridden a bike in my life I was dying half the climbs so, you know there's all these really fit guides and people that do all this riding and there's me that's used to sort of doing a quick uh, 10k loop or whatever um so I thought <laughs> they probably looked like a complete idiot but it was amazing it was um yeah we did some you know riding that look like you're on a moonscape some high alpine riding and then they've got three trails there that they've built specifically that you can go up and just sort of session they were the flow trails and they're really well built as well so it's it's good to see different areas of europe um building the infrastructure and having things there because you know in switzerland they've got bike hotels and that kind of thing and they do special offers where you can go and have um you like a package so you'll stay in the hotel and you get a discount on the lifts and that kind of thing so it's um yeah that was a a good opportunity to see what else is on offer and uh, just the amount the sheer amount of trails there are i definitely would recommend you know getting a guide because it's quite easy to get lost and i think there's always um if you're not really in a resorty kind of thing like Mm morzine and things aren't really well mapped We're quite in danger of, especially UK, where a lot of us ride trail centres. You know, they're along; they're all well mapped. Is it's very easy to forget that it's a very different side to mountain biking when you're in the mountains and the weather can change really quickly. And you're not; you can't just go down to the cafe and have a cup of tea and a bacon butty or something. (laughs) So it's uh yeah, it's it's very different. Which is it's always interesting to see how people ride different things wherever they're from.
1: Yeah, it's a good tip, I think. And, and plus, I think with a guide, you get to do a lot more. You know, you get to ride the best trails and you, you get to see a lot more rather than stopping every 20 minutes and trying to figure out where you're at.
0: <laughs> no, definitely. It's, it's good to have someone who knows and can tell you all the, all the best bits. And I think it's worth paying for because then you're going
1: to get the best experience. So. Yeah, totally, totally. Okay, Lauren, So before I let you go, just have you anything planned for the near future regarding mountain biking? Um, okay. are you working on any interesting stories?
0: Um, well, I have been just working. Obviously, we I worked on Haley Billy. That's that came out a couple of weeks ago, and now the World Enduro. And there, um, so Haley Billy and the World Stage are. Created by Miss Bent Summers, which is James McKnight, but obviously he recently brought Mike on board, uh, Mike Rose from Dirt. And so they're working together. And it's just really it's really nice to be part of something. And I'm really privileged to work with those guys and continue a working relationship with them from dirt. You know, and Ben Winder works with them as well. He's T-boy slash photographer at Dirt. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just nice to be able to document the history of the sport you know the Enduro World Series every year and the downhill every year and just be part of that so that's something that I'm really happy to be part of and uh, the World State Enduro might be out by the time that this comes out but um, if it isn't or people haven't then it'd be cool if they check out Haley Burley and that because they are really beautiful and they work with some amazing photographers and it is really really amazing insight into you know each series every year so that's pretty good mm-hmm. That.
1: Yeah, well, if you send me links to that stuff, I'll stick it on the show notes so people can get to it easy.
0: Well, and I'll be taking a road trip in the summer, most likely as I do every year. And I'm turning thirty this year, so <laughs> oh, I,
1: you're still I, young, I'll
0: plan something for that. Probably, probably bike related. Or well, maybe I'll just do loads of things instead for my thirtieth. I'll just have a week of
1: celebrations.
0: <laughs> I'll have a birthday month.
1: <laughs> yeah get the downhill bike out again
0: <laughs> that sounds like a good plan <laughs> um,
1: so is there anything in your bucket list is there anything you would really love to cover as far as mountain biking journalism goes
0: Um, for me I really enjoy as you do with the podcast the people side of things I like telling the stories of people involved it just brings a whole new element to it so if I can continue talking to people in all different walks of mountain biking, that you know, that's one of my favorite things, and I'd like to do some cool trips to places that aren't really covered that often with mountain biking. That would be something sort of on the top of my list. Um, mm-hmm. I'd like to I'd like to visit Japan, but I'd like to ride in Japan as well in a couple of different areas. Probably too much yeah. to list. <laughs> I want to do as much as I can and take, you know, just make the most of
1: it because. We are only here once, so. Yep. Well, happy days. That's the best way to go about it. That sounds great. So how can people best find you online and keep up to date with what you're doing and stuff, Lauren?
0: Um, I don't know. I think I feel like my social media is sporadic because we're renovating a house and I seem to be putting all my effort into my home renovation Instagram. So if people are into that, they can find that. But I'm on Instagram. Mm Uh, Twitter, my website, and just all the usual. So just come and find me and have a chat. I'm friendly. I'll come. Grand, and no worries. like some, drink tea. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's cool. Well, I'll put links and stuff on the show notes as always, um, so people can find out what you're up to. And and it's great, I think, Lauren, to have somebody like you in the mountain bike industry. You know, and I think you're very, very important for the future of it as well. So. Thanks for doing that for all the all the riders out there. I think it means a lot to be honest.
0: Uh, I'd like to hope that I'm doing something bigger than myself and mountain biking has given me so much and over the years things have changed and I've changed and I've taken some time to figure stuff out but I I love bikes and I love the community and I know I keep saying that but it is really important for me and the friendships I've made and the places I've been so I hope that you know what I'm doing in writing about it and trying to well especially in the past push the women's side of things you know what at one point someone turned to me and said because of you I started riding bikes and I cried for about a day because it just (laughs) for me that was and at one time as well I did an interview with Rachel Afton and she actually emailed me after it and said thank you for everything you're doing for mountain biking and even though it was years ago, those things have really stuck with me, you know, and that's the thing that I take away that I love the most about my job. So Mm
1: -hmm. yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. (laughs) Yeah. That's important. I think to get feedback like that, it really helps.
0: It it does because sometimes it's, it's hard. Every job is hard, you know, the certain things that you do and sometimes you're like, why am I doing this? But it all comes down to because you love it and everything worth having isn't always easy so it's uh yeah it's been a really interesting ride and i'm looking to looking forward to continuing and seeing what happens
1: in the next couple of years cool well brilliant lauren well thanks so much for coming on it was an absolute pleasure to chat to you and um, i hope everything goes well for you in this upcoming season and stuff
0: thank you and really thank you for having me on it's been really nice and i'm really grateful so it's been good
1: No problem, my pleasure. Well, have a good day there and uh, I hope the snow comes for you tomorrow as you're you're wishing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm really excited. I'll just sit sit inside and watch it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, Lauren. Have a good day. All the best. Okay,
0: take care. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks, folks, for tuning in. That's a wrap for episode number 74. And, Lauren, thanks so much for being our latest guest on the podcast. It was great to chat to you and it was great to get your insight into the whole journalism thing it is very very interesting and i know you worked really hard at it so um it was great to get you on the show so thanks so much now folks if you want to know more about lauren what she's doing what she's up to you can visit the show notes at mtb-tribe.com just go to lauren's episode and you will get links to her socials and to what she's doing and a couple of books she's been involved in and stuff like that so um, you can get quick access there you can also subscribe to the show via the website you'll get one email a week with a short synopsis just letting you know who's coming on the show what we're going to chat about and a quick link there to the episode so folks that is awesome thanks for tuning in if you want to help the show in other ways just get on social media the old instagram page is now over ten thousand followers so that's going really really well so thanks so much if you're involved that way and if you want to help the show just a wee bit extra you can let friends know you can take a screenshot share it on your social page i would really love that and get the word out there because at the end of the day we're just trying to get more people on bikes get more people out in nature out in social environments get them away from screens away from phones and enjoy a bit of nature and enjoy a bit of fitness that is the aim of the podcast getting people off sofas and onto saddles so thanks for being a part of it i really do appreciate it and i will speak to you next week on another episode of the mtv Tribe podcast have a good one folks enjoy the trails if you get the opportunity to get out and keep it between the hedges speak to you next week